0: Hello and welcome back to The Big Esports Podcast. I've got another gaming team on today and one that's uh, kind of birthed from pro players rather than from business. And I really wanted to discuss with someone about their launch and, and how a player started an organization, how they attach themselves to the first business person, which is who we have on the podcast today with GodSent, with Heinrich from GodSent. Um Just a forewarning as well, English isn't his first language, so sometimes there are a little bit of stumbling, but I think the information within this is something that's very important for you to listen to. Um, Unsurprising to anyone listening as well, I maybe went on a little bit of a rant about um, sales within esports, but also case studies. So you'll hear it again in the main part but i'll say it here in the intro if you have any case studies of success of brands in esports i would love to see them i have so many with influencers, but i don't have anywhere near enough with esports so please email us directly contact at bigesports.gg, or hit us up at big underscore gg on any socials or me directly at smithy mayo on any socials enjoy this episode i enjoyed it too Thanks so much for being a listener of this podcast. We've created it really to help increase information sharing and understanding of the esports market. If you'd like to help us out, feel free to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you do and make sure to share this with your friends. Hopefully, we've been able to provide some fantastic information to you and a bit of a learning experience over this period of time, whether you're looking to skill up, enter the industry, or you're just looking to monitor to see how things are going. If you'd like to put yourself forward as a guest, suggest any others or ask any questions, feel free to connect with us at bigesports.gg or on any of the social media platforms at bigesports underscore gg. Henrik, mate, welcome to the podcast. As we were talking about, it's always hard to line up sometimes due to time zone differences. It's quarter past seven now here for me in Melbourne, Australia. What about for you?
1: Uh, Thank you, Chris. Obviously, it's nice to be here. Uh, It's uh, 8.12 or something, 8.15 a.m.
0: Awesome. Well, let's, let's, let's kick it off as we always do, mate. Let me know a bit about yourself because I've got a lot, got a lot to chat to you about today.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, so my name is Henrik. I'm the, one of the two CEOs of uh, Godsend since, uh, yeah, earlier this summer, uh, 2019. I'm sort of more of a traditional entrepreneur starting, uh, the first company somewhat 12 years ago, um, running it for eight years and i did uh exit and uh, started to invest more and more um and i ran into Pronux uh since i was really eager to do something within esports we sort of liked each other and uh really connected well uh, when it came to visions and uh, stuff for Godsend. so yeah been working with that since for the last year i would say almost last year
0: Yeah, fantastic, mate. So I guess one of the first questions, and I'm glad, I guess you're the first um, co-CEO that I've had on the podcast. I remember tweeting about this a bit and talking to some people in person. It doesn't seem like co-CEOs are very common in any other companies except in esports. I think we've seen it in Team Liquid. We've seen it in other teams, like possibly Fnatic, and obviously with you guys as well. Can you explain to me how that dynamic works and, and how there's kind of two people in charge? How does that come about?
1: must be the big egos of uh, esports. <laughs> <laughs> uh now jokes aside um, for us i don't know it's really hard to tell how it how and why it is for for other organizations but for us it works really well um i mean it's such a such a startup environment so you have to do yeah you know all about it chris as we talked about before the, the recording but uh mm. It's so much uh, grinding and uh, so much hard work. Um, uh, and you have to do a lot of things within the organization from, from high to low, so to speak. Um, so I would say it's, it's really good that you can, as a co-CEO, or if you have two CEOs, you can actually represent the company as the sort of, uh, highest executive, um, mm-hmm. at two times <laughs> in the, in the world at the same time. And, uh, uh, yeah, that's kind of vague, but it works really good. And uh, the dynamic, obviously, is really dependent on dependent on uh, the personal uh, chemistry and uh, how you think and uh, what the visions are and if they're aligned or not. And I would say in our case, they're really, really good. Um, I mean, we could have whatever titles and still do the same uh, same job as we're doing. But I mean, for official. And public uh, situations and meetings and sales and whatever. I think it's really good to have to have two CEOs at this case.
0: Mm-hmm. So why? So so for you, why the the move into esports? So you mentioned that you, that you met Pronax, but obviously functioning in the traditional startup space. I've kind of you know seen through your LinkedIn before that you worked kind of in the uh, recruitment and HR. Industry yeah. and, and with another you know another kind of tech heavy classical startup. So why into esports? Is The allure of a, of a growing market or something else?
1: No, I've been I've been uh, a nerd or computer gaming guy since yeah. know we got our first computer when I was maybe seven or eight. Uh, mm. So I always loved playing uh, computer and video games. Uh, starting to play Counter Strike at I think the one point three version. Yeah, okay. Uh, like early 2000. I don't remember exactly. Um, uh, playing on like my they say semi elite level, I would say mm-hmm. 1.6, 1.5. Um, and been following, uh, uh, like more and more actually, uh, the older I became, become following the, the scene with Dota. And, uh, I played like really a, a lot of Hearthstone. Uh, a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. that's my biggest uh, achievement. I would say in in uh, I'm uh, I've been nowhere near to be a professional, but I was like a couple of top two hundred and fifty in uh, Europe in Huddersfield one season, I think uh, mm-hmm. in the legendary. So yeah, always been uh, enjoying playing. Like even though we had been running startups and uh, working a lot, it's always it's always been a uh, a little getaway uh, to play for a couple of hours with friends, or instead of uh, going out partying, can play uh, mm. with your uh, childhood friends. So, and obviously the the um, the esports business and uh, everything has matured so much. Um, so obviously, as 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 an investor or yeah, a passionate investor for for a lot of years, it's been really interesting to to following the. The development and, uh, what's happening in, in esports. And, uh, I figured like, could you combine a passion, combine a passion with like work? Um, so I decided actually a couple of years ago that I need to do something within esports because I think it's so much fun. And, uh, yeah, I would Hmm. say that that's why. Uh, And obviously there's, as in, in life, there is always, like a big yeah, portion of, uh, like fortune of events or you have to have good timing, etc. Um, uh, as with Pronox, uh, so yeah. I don't know I was, if that answers the question in, in a good way, but that's, that's like why and how.
0: Um, uh, mm. my point and it, was, it was funny you were mentioning about, um, you know, always, always taking some time to play games. And that's a common mm. one, right? Like most people say, I've been working so much in esports I don't get time to play games anymore. But for me, like I find it very important for mental and physical health to always put aside some time to do some exercise and go outside, you know, before this podcast even though it's super smoky here in Melbourne, I put my face mask on and and did a lap around the block in the sun. Yeah. But also I find it pretty equally important to play games and cuz a lot of the time for me that's the only time I really see my friends at all, hanging out in Discord, playing a bit of Dota together. You know, doing a bit of shit talking against each other, just the same way that people would go and hang out at a bar together and, and, you know, kind of make fun of each other as friends and and hang out and catch up Mm -hmm. on each other's lives.
1: Yeah, I know, definitely. So I I have a few questions there. What's your MMR?
0: What's my MMR? I'm about yeah. the the world average. I think the global average of MMR is three thousand two hundred, and I, I sit yeah. somewhere around three five. I think like legend mm-hmm. two, yeah, legend three. But I'm I'm lucky enough to have discovered the hero dazzle. I, I usually play uh, yeah. position four or five, and within my bracket, honestly, dazzle is so broken. I had nine wins in a row, eight with dazzle, one with Zeus, and many of them uh. weren't even close. Um, it seems that people don't respect his his uh, poison dot. So it's good yeah. fun. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I could imagine. Um, yeah, so, what was the other question? Um, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. But also, from from uh, from doing this for I don't know what's now, but eight months or something, I've never played as as uh, little as I in my entire life. So, but I try to play uh, from time to time. I've done a couple of streaming sessions just for for fun. Uh, but yeah, it's a little bit ironic that I've never played, uh, this few amounts of hours, uh, in my entire life as, uh, when working with it. So hopefully I can play a little bit more, uh, going forward, but I totally agree with you. And, uh, the other part is, I think more important for me at this point. So like doing the physical and mental training, um, I mean, uh, Taking a run or going to the gym. And, uh, yeah, we're all a little bit obsessed, obsessed with that in, in the godsend management, at least, uh, with training and stuff. So, mm. um, yeah, it's, it's really important. And if I have one sort of, uh, advice to anyone listening to this, uh, do, do the work, like go take a walk in the sun or get daylight or, do something mm. like every day. Try, try to do something every day. And just, just do it. Uh, do that's so much for you.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that's. I definitely think that's some good advice. And you know, I've been doing that a bit. And you know, in the past year, meditating when I can as well. I find that I find that helps. But yeah, getting outside and and doing some stuff. You know, it helps you doing less work sometimes makes you do more work, right? And, and I always yeah. have that battle with myself of, you know, the, the CEO should be the first in the office and the last out and you should be grinding for 12 hours a day. It's what Gary Vee and startup culture tells you and hustle and grind, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but often yeah. it comes to that point of if you do that, um, you do a lot of poor quality work. And the same way that if you try to multitask too many things, which is what I've done many, many times in the past. And instead of producing Mm. one great piece of work at a time, you produce a lot of terrible pieces of work at once that you need to go back over and fix, or, you know, you might send a deck off that's missing some words, or you might send the wrong email to the wrong person. Maybe you'll send a steel series deck to Razor. Um, Yeah. Something that you want to do. So Is that
1: something that you've done actually?
0: No, I haven't. I haven't actually. I've,
1: it sounded just like a to top th- of mind uh, thing that you uh, did recently. <laughs>
0: I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of some embarrassing times when I've done it because I know I have, but I can't think no. of. I can't think of anything. I think I've just shot emails off before without thinking about them properly. Yeah. Um, and you know, one of the greatest pieces of advice in life is don't write social media statuses when you're upset. Especially think about yeah. it before you know. Yeah. I've done that. I've done that yeah. when I was younger, and it wasn't anything crazy, racist, sexist, or anything. But I just kind of spoke my mind about a situation that was happening at work that I didn't need to, and then that made someone, mm. you know, upset. And you know, what's the point? What's the point in doing that? If I left that for an hour, I wouldn't have written that status. Just having a yeah. bit of a, a, a wind, really. <laughs> it wasn't with anything <laughs> of substance. It didn't add anything to anyone's day. But um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think it's. We should tell that to
1: to our boy uh, Stiko. Um, uh, he recently did that. <laughs> Tweet something about, uh, yeah, a tournament That was really <laughs> a bad managed by, uh, oh, no. you know, the admins and stuff. We were supposed to play the, the final, I think, yeah, uh, Thursday last week in the sector, mm-hmm. whatever tournament. Um, but yeah, then they just said that uh, the other team wasn't ready today, so we will come back to you in a few days and let you know. Um. And obviously, that is not good—a good way to deal, to do tournament uh, management uh, or administration. Uh, it's mm. really bad and bad for the reputation of esports, obviously. But yeah, it's, and I think the player got so angry he just tweeted about it. But we should shouldn't do that, anyways. I think so. It's better to mm. take a chill pill and uh, wait for an hour, and then you probably won't have the need to to tweet about it.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah um, trigger trigger fingers on Twitter right <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. always it's always hard sometimes I wanted to I want to talk with you a little bit about about the founding of GodSent. So, obviously, we had Ludwig on to do the big esports founders pitch number one, because you guys are raising some capital at the moment. And I I drew a lot of likenesses between where you guys have founded and where you've come from to the Australian esports industry. So, for those people listening um, who who are not aware of... um, I guess a, a godly figure in the history of Counter-Strike, which is Pronax, which is someone who um, you know, founded GodSent from the start, a very well-known Counter-Strike one point six player, played for Fnatic on on the global stage. Um, and you know, GodSent really been born out of that player-first model, being a group of people who are good players coming together as a team, starting from the bottom and then incorporating it as a business afterwards. Because I think that most people come to esports these days. They're used to the opposite. Whereas you yep. know, you maybe you've got a team like a hundred thieves. Where Nade shot, yes, sure, he's been involved as a player, but you know, he comes more of the angle of a business person. He's already got a massive following. You know, he's already got some money and got some backers in the bank before he creates the team. Or in yeah. Australia, maybe a team like Order is very similar as well. Some other organizations call them like a money team, teams that yep. start with money instead of start with players. Whereas in Australia, you've got a team like the Chiefs, who was recently acquired. You know, They started as a League of Legends team. They left their organization because they weren't happy and yeah. they were the best esports team in Australia in League of Legends and they stuck at that game and only that game for a long time until they expanded into something else. So can you let me know, you know a little bit about... The foundation of Godsent. How you got involved with it? Uh, are you kind of the first person that brought that business mind, the player first model? Let us know a little bit.
1: So I was, um, yeah. Pronex was obviously the the, his, the was the owner of the Godsent brand, uh, and it was like sleeping or inactive uh, since uh, I think it was uh, like June twenty eighteen mm. uh, when Red Reserve uh, Red Reserve. Acquired the uh, the lineup, including Twist, uh, among other players, mm. uh, from Godsent and Refresh Entertainment, and uh, instead of getting uh, his his part of the payouts or uh, the money that Red Reserve paid, uh, they decided and he decided to to buy out the the Godsent branding uh, mm-hmm. and acquire uh, the rights to it with the plan to at some someday. Uh, get back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've con, I contacted him. I didn't know him. Uh, I reached out to him, uh, like one year ago, something and, uh, told him a little bit about my background and, uh, how I looked at esports and, uh, uh, what I could help him, uh, do, uh, if mm-hmm. he was interested in, in, uh, uh, making God sent, uh become Godsent again and having a run at it. Um, and we met up and had a couple of meetings and yeah. So I think he wanted to bring me just because of these uh, matters, as you, you mentioned, like the business side of it, the sales, uh, the investment mm. sort of heavy uh, approach that you might need at some day, in esports and, uh, yeah. And I think I also had like a really good and a big confidence in ProNax, obviously, because he's a legend and, uh, he's like really well, well connected within the esports scene and, uh, knows almost everyone within Counter-Strike and uh, other titles as well. So I think mm-hmm. that was a really good, uh, good matchup for us at that, that point to do it. And we were really, uh, really, really sort of en- energized and, uh, and happy to starting with it, and uh, yeah, and then since then it's been a lot of like ups and downs, and uh, a lot of uh, Counter Strike uh, teams that we could have or uh, might uh, didn't want, and yeah, but uh, that's another story. Um, but definitely, uh, the business and sales uh, was is really necessary, and uh, back in the days, Refresh Entertainment handled the most of it. Mm-hmm. So but he's still like he's really eager to learn other parts of the business as well and really interested in it. But he's not working day to day at this point with uh with the sales and uh investor stuff, but he's a really good advisor and uh he's like a really good link uh to the eSport world and uh also a really good uh asset for all of our teams, but particularly the Counter Strike team. Mm. And he's a really yeah, good I, person as well. I must say that he's a really down-to-earth guy. Uh, couldn't couldn't know or possibly tell that he has won several majors. Uh,
0: yeah, and I and I think it it can't be it can't be understated. You know, th- I guess there's there's one group of people that listen to this podcast who are outside of the esports industry that listen for information. And, you know, whether they want to enter in the industry, whether it's something they want to sponsor or they want to invest or something else. And I think it's very important for us who's inside the industry to explain to people why someone like Pronax is so important at the helm as a previous player. He adds so much weight to you recruiting people into your team. You know, say, for example, um, a smaller example, there's a team called Kanga, um, and they're owned by a guy called Hayden Shields. Shields or Hades, who was the in-game leader for the team when they were competing on a global stage. And now he's stepped back to be the CEO and business mind. And that helps because he can coach these new players. They know that he's got their best interests at heart and they know that he's gone through what they're going through. So it makes it much easier for him to recruit players because he can mentor them and they trust him much more. Exactly the same way that, say, Click Management, an influencer organization here in Australia who's gigantic, you know, they have... I would argue an easier time signing talent because one of their main owners and directors is a massive YouTube star himself with over 5 million subscribers. So, he knows what these people go through. He can talk to them on a personal level and say, I've been there. You know, I've been there with zero subscribers and made my first video. I've been there through my first brand deal or in Pronax's case, I've been there through my first tournament loss. I've been there through my first um, main stage tournament where there's lots of nerves and things like that that matter quite a lot, and especially in games like CSGO. You know, for me, that was, I guess, where I peaked in my career, playing in arguably the top four team in Australia and running dozens of tournaments, that I could easily get people to sign up to my tournaments because they trusted me. They knew I was a top-level player. They knew I was going to run the servers with the proper configs. They knew I was going to look after the players. I was going to pay out any prize pool. The tournament was going to be, you know, ran smoothly, and if there was any problems, I could deal with them. And that's... You know, it's it's just why you have an industry leader and a subject matter expert at the helm of any company. It's why you have, yes. you know, a hashtag entrepreneur famous on LinkedIn might want to lead your e-commerce company for exactly the same reason that an influencer might want to be a part owner of your influencer agency, and an esports player might be want to, might want to be at the helm of your esports team. It only makes sense, right?
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you, and uh, you just, you re- rephrased it really really well, and that's really the case for us as well. And uh, just having Pronox uh, walking in the, walking around in the office, uh, in Sweden, like when uh, a Rainbow Six team is boot camping or Dota teams boot camping is such like a, uh, it gives such a uh, I don't know uh, like confidence uh, and, and what do you say like yeah uh, uh, yeah maybe you can cut that part off sorry um, yeah that's
0: fine so so for you you've obviously talked a lot about um. CSGO, and you just made a mention of Dota 2, um, yep. you know, Ludwig in his pitch as well talked about some of the games you're in. I really want to understand more from you about what what games do you choose to be in and why? Why are you in particular games that you're in right now? I mean, CS makes sense with Pronax, but why Dota and, and why any of the other games that you're currently operating in?
1: So Dota makes uh, sense because of The Final Tribe, um, the company that's like acquired or we got merged with. Um, mm-hmm. It came from dota and uh, it's been like their like soul game uh, main game um since the start since the founding founding, founding, and mm-hmm. um also era who is uh, our position one in dota is uh is a part like a part owner uh of the company as well uh, in God and godsend uh, and it's like for the same reason as pronux is really important era is also really really important when it comes to the Dota. Uh he has one foot in the or like both foots into the competitive highest competitive DOTA scene uh worldwide. Uh people trust him and uh it's much easier for him to to build teams um than it would be for me and Ludwig or anyone in the management who doesn't know any players. Um mm. so and we love Dota. So yeah one of the biggest games and i think valve has yeah counter-strike and dota i think valve is doing not only but they're doing uh, good things um so that makes sense for us to keep doing it we also have rainbow six since a couple of months um Mm -hmm. we picked up a really young academy sort of team uh i think the average age is uh 17 uh, or not even 17 with really talented players from the Nordic region and uh, across Europe, uh, with Spoit being the biggest star. He's a growing YouTuber as well. Has uh, I think he had 50k subs when he joined Godsend. Now he's uh, well mm-hmm. over 150,000 and uh, gets mm. uh, a shit lot of views uh, for every content he puts out, and he's just insane at the game. So that's a long-term mm-hmm. bet for us and uh, Hearthstone. Uh, with Boston. who's playing on the Grandmaster Tour, uh, being like a top 15 player in the world. Um, he's also like, involved with some some like management stuff, and uh, he's a small owner as well uh, mm-hmm. of the company. And uh, yeah, a really good guy. And uh, that gives us a lot into the Blizzard uh, sort of yeah, that gives us some Blizzard insights and, um, and a foot into that. So, gaming developer as well, game developer. And uh, what else do we have? Fortnite is... Uh, we had a couple of players recently, until up until recently, but we're going to recruit a lot of more Fortnite players uh, mm-hmm. before the World Championship, the World Cup um, being announced. So that is a bet for from our side and onto the younger, say younger generation of gamers, mm. uh, who doesn't even care about Counter Strike or Dota at all. Uh, it's just Fortnite for them, and as you know, it's a, a totally different uh, world, and uh, it's uh, really, really big and huge. So let's see how we go, how we're gonna do that. But um, yeah, Fortnite is uh, up and coming, and uh, we're looking into mobile well a lot uh, as i would guess everyone else is doing like mobile mm-hmm. esports um i think that's uh where we have to be um and we want to be kind of early there uh i wouldn't say it's it's really early now but we want to to get really good at that and expand into other demographics um it's, it's southeast asia and uh, south america as well um mm-hmm. So did I miss anything here? I don't think so. Uh League of Legends. Uh we have the we had the Nordic Champions, uh but we actually decided to skip this split in, in the Nordic uh, Championship. Uh we qualified and everything and probably had the best team. Uh but it didn't make sense for us business-wise at this point to to do that investment. Uh since we don't think that uh, the Nordic league is uh, good enough. Uh, I think it's like t- Tier 3 or Tier 4 or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so we just want to wait a little bit and see what's happening and how it's uh, developing. Uh, yeah, I think that's about it when it comes to the games games we have.
0: Mm, yeah, sure. And I think one of the, one of the interesting ones that, I've, you know, probably going to be talking about a lot more on the podcast is Rainbow Six Siege, which you mentioned. You know, that seems to be a game that had such... Decent, slow, and steady support for growth, even looking here in Australia, assuming yeah. Rainbow Six Pro League things happening, there's direct invites. And, and, you know, now we've got one of the best teams in the world, Fnatic, being based out of Australia here, too. And it yeah. seems to be gathering so much support around the world. And, you know, I think it's taken, it's probably taken a lot of fans from Counter Strike because it is very much a, a more tactical version of Counter Strike. But to me, it feels like the ecosystem within Rainbow Six Siege is is possibly a little bit more stable, uh, maybe because it hasn't seen the explosive growth um, or has the, the baggage that something like CSGO has. Can, can you make some business comparisons from your perspective as a team owner of, of CSGO versus Rainbow Six Siege?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, it's... it's um, at this point, since we have a, a team that is uh, under 18, uh, they aren't able to compete at the highest level uh, of Rainbow Six. So... I don't really know why they have that ruling from, from Ubisoft. Um, I don't, I, I don't think I agree with that. I think you should mm. be able to play if you're 16 as well, 17 on the competitive, uh, on the highest competitive level that is possible. Mm. Um, so obviously it's, uh, for us in the Nordics, it's a huge uh, difference between, uh, Counter-Strike and Rainbow Six. I mean, we can see there's, uh, it's a big traction in the game and, uh, I yeah, can see a lot of, uh, the content creators and streamers are popping and becoming really big in Rainbow Six. And we have like, a really big following, uh, Rainbow Six fans, uh, that have started to follow, uh, Godsent, And I think they're more, they're younger in general and they're more, uh, vocal. And, uh, mm-hmm. you can see a lot of them are, are like into the merchandise of Godsent, And, uh, so that like from that point of view, it's uh, it's really interesting to see. And as I said before, it's a long term bet from our side. But since we can't compete at the uh, land like big LAN tournaments and stuff like that, it's too too early to say and compare. Um, since Counter Strike is our like number one game at this point, and uh, yeah, we're competing at a much higher level. Uh, mm. But besides that, I think the the boys are telling us that they're top twenty five in the world or something. Uh, I don't know. We have to take that with a pinch of salt, or um, mm. yeah, it's too early to say. Uh, but it's definitely gonna be interesting to to keep following this team and uh, see what happens when they turn 18, and yeah, we can start compete in the in the big scenes.
0: Yeah, and, and how about Fortnite? Like it, it seems to be such an interesting one to me. There's so many organizations like uh, Raised by Kings and Team Kangana, Team Kangana, and many others that are kind of influencer owned um, that exist outside of this traditional esports ecosystem of the of the you know the fanatics, the Cloud Nines, the God Sense, etc. And yeah. I saw you know after the last Fortnite World Cup, what what I would describe kind of an exodus. Of Fortnite players from esports organizations, many yeah. choosing to go as a free agent with no offers rather than be inside an esports organization. And some of those players, even today, are still free agents entirely, not signed to one. So, yeah, you know how do how do you see that? Like, I, I feel like feel like uh fortnite's made it fairly clear they don't care about teams about organizations they're not really interested yeah. in promoting them whatsoever yeah. so where does the where does the major value come from you with these fortnite players and and how do you think that you'll be able to keep them to stick around versus these other organizations who can't
1: yeah that's a hard question to answer but i would say there's uh, i agree with you there's so many free agents uh out there like really good players uh, mm. and in general they're so many thousands of uh, like super good players um i think the like rng in fortnite is uh like slightly higher than in some of these other games mm. um like the randomness um but yeah and and i think like epic since they put so much like 30 million dollar in the prize pool was it um mm-hmm. mm-hmm. last world cup I think the demands for salaries have been, uh, at least up until recently, uh, when we talk to free agents, they're really, like really high. Uh, like these 16 years old, 15 year old guys, 19 year old guys, like demanding really, really high salaries um, mm. without any big following or without big YouTube accounts or Twitch accounts. So yeah, it haven't made sense for us to do it. Uh, but to answer your last question, question, uh, that is an interesting business aspect of it. If you could get a good Fortnite uh, roster or good Fortnite players, uh, who are really, really good competitive and, uh, definitely can, can, uh, qualify for the World Cup and compete for, uh, the highest positions there. And on the other side, they have a big YouTube following, uh, a lot of subscribers. lot of viewers uh, on their Twitch channels and the big social following that really makes sense for us Uh, that we can package it into a a really good uh, business uh, proposition for sponsors and uh, both endemic and non-endemic brands Um, Mm -hmm. and that is what we are interested in um, to make that have that combination of a pro player with uh, a really good reach as well
0: yeah and it's it's interesting finding that balance right I was finding myself explaining this again yesterday to someone new to the industry about how Ninja isn't an eSports athlete. You know, yes, he may compete in some tournaments um, and yes, he may be above average at the game. However, that's not his goal to to play in global tournaments and be the best player in the world. Um, And, you know, I found it really interesting the thing you were saying about the, you know, the RNG in Fortnite seems to be higher than... In many of these other competitive games. <clears throat> yeah. And, you know, it's it, to me, sometimes it seems like um, if your organization going to the World Cup, and this is what happened last year with, with FaZe and other teams picking up so many players, can you, for lack of a better term, farm enough players that you have enough of a shot at the crown? You know, maybe the player has to be a certain level of skilled and the rest of it's really left up to that randomness as to whether they win the tournament or, you know, how good was Bugger as a player before he took the tournament home compared to some others? You know, are there people who are more mechanically gifted or personally skilled than him, but just simply didn't get the the shotgun in time or didn't drop in the right place? Mm. Um, Because it's not like you can necessarily do a Dota 2 best of five which I think would unequivocally tell you who the best player is. Sometimes there's just yeah. a little bit more randomness in Fortnite. And that's not saying yeah. that Bugger doesn't deserve the victory. It's just saying that uh, he's, know, he's the really, the really good. differently.
1: Yeah, I understand what you're, what you're meaning. You can take yeah. a good example in uh, what is a guy called who left face uh, Tfue. Mm. Uh, he, I think he was like one of the favorites before the World Cup. And uh, yeah. I don't know where he ended up, but like place 40 or something. He really struggled in those five games uh, or 10 games. Um, I think also a lot of guys didn't make uh, the World Cup at all uh, or was like almost not making it. Uh, but this year is, man, it's going to be so much more crowded into the qualification. I mm. think we're going to see a couple of uh, like big stars who won't even make uh, the World Cup due to yeah, the rely uh competitive environment that it is today and uh, a little bit of RNG as well. Um, so that's definitely like, a, but that's the case, like we want to farm players, sounds uh, uh, not that good, but we want to have uh, like a couple at least, at least like four to six players who mm-hmm. has a really good chance or shot at uh, qualifying for World Cup. So you can see it as like stock options or, uh, mm. not, not lottery tickets because that would be <laughs> <laughs> developing their, uh, like value uh, as human beings because they're not lottery tickets. But for us as a company, uh, it, it could be somewhat way as a lottery ticket. Uh, and if they're having like good fan following and uh, they're really good at, Content creation and uh, streaming, uh, and if you're good persons, uh, we would love to, to sign like as many as we can afford, uh, mm. because it makes sense from a business uh, perspective to do it.
0: Yeah, and that's what it seems like. Stock options—it it does seem like what it's like. It's almost like you're placing startup-style bets in someone. Yeah. You know, if exactly. you're if you're putting money into if if you put a hundred thousand dollars into a company as a seed stage or angel investor. It's really not the same as a lottery, but it is similar in some ways. You know, you're putting in yeah. your money, you're making a your bet. However, you can have a bit more control over the outcome, maybe putting a $100,000, yeah. you know, maybe a Pronax and you have a lot of contacts in Counter-Strike. So if you chuck hundred grand in, you've, you've got um, some sort of say and more likelihood of it pulling off than if you were yeah. to invest in, um, you know, milking cows or something. But, yeah, definitely. You know, and just like what you were saying, I looked it up and, and Tafui came 67th at the Fortnite World Cup. And, you yep. know, easily known as, as one of the best players in the world. Um, yeah. You know, t- about 10 months before that, he came first at the Fortnite Fall Skirmish TwitchCon finals, yep. 255K in his pocket. Um, and, you know, even a month after that, um, you know, he came, came 11th in a qualifier, World Cup final show match, Celebrity Pro-Am, fifth, you know, fifth in the World Cup online, um, you know, first in, in a few secret skirmishes as well, solos and duos. So, you know, a very well-decorated player, but didn't show up. You know, during that tournament. So, yeah, I find that a really interesting prospect, and, and maybe that's something that we can help you out with. We'll, we'll chat about that after the call. is a yeah, sure. I, I just find it so. I feel like an old man, but I find it so fascinating. Oh well, um, you, man. Uh, I was born in '91, so I'm twenty-one, twenty-eight. Okay, yeah. 28. But I, when when I'm looking at these Fortnite creators, I feel like such an old man a lot of the time because they do things so differently. You know, if you look at the way, think about some stalwart people in esports, think about, say, Huck, who played... For Team EG for years in StarCraft 2. Look at the yeah. way he tweets. Think about Pronax, the way Shox, yeah. you know, one of the most well known um, CSGO players of all time, coming from Royalty and Counter Strike Source. Look at the way he tweets. And, and then look at the way that a lot of these um, league, these um, Fortnite pros tweet. You know, Benji Fishy also plays yeah. quite highly. Um, yeah. and, and the way that these guys talk, it's just so different and the way they create content, but it's so exciting and it, it drives such a different kind of audience audience you know fortnite people have gone crazy giving away you know retweet this tweet i'll give one person a hundred dollars um yeah, I know. you know and that's and that's exploding now the way that they're doing you know team Kangana with the fortnite guy who's a influencer and youtuber we've done some work with him you know he mm-hmm. runs tryouts which gets anywhere from one to ten thousand concurrent viewers on twitch of people trying out to join his team live um, while he's giving away you know um, fortnite v bucks in game currency and and vouchers and prizes and attaching sponsors to it and that's the kind of you know we did a giveaway with him and one of our clients as well and it's hey. crazy to me that the different styles so so for you yeah you know how do you see yourself fitting into that kind of ecosystem do you do you ever see the allure of you know retweet for a hundred dollars or um, giveaways or such or do you see yourself more following the path of the dare I say, traditional esports route, thinking, say, a Team Liquid or a Cloud9, which are more performance and esports first versus, say, a phase, which is cloud and content, and 100 Thieves, which is content, 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 versus, you know, kind of your strategy going forwards?
1: That's a really good question. And, uh, yeah, we can talk out, talk about that for, for hours, I think. And we have mm. done so as well for many, many hours. Uh, first of all, both me and the Ludwig, the other, the co- other co-CEO, we're both, uh, 32 soon. So we're born in the eighties. So it's, uh, yeah, we're a bit old, uh, when it comes to this Fortnite, uh, young talents, uh, and the lingo, lingo they're mm. using. Uh, but we're, do- we have been, been, been like exploring with doing some giveaways, uh, recently, uh, with like, uh, camper psych skins and, uh, some other things as well, uh, just to, to play a little bit with it. And, uh, it's, it's had has really good traction. Um, but the big question here is, yeah, um, I think we're looking at Face plan as a, a really good role model, I would say, um, in a lot of points, point of views. Um, we obviously want to have eSports first uh, because that's our brand and uh, the, the brand history, uh, mm. and we don't want to put that on the side. Um, but we are definitely looking at how to scale uh, the brand of godsend uh, not two times three times like how can we expand 10 times or 20 times uh, mm. the reach and the audience and the fan base that we have today uh, and to be able to do that you either have has to have a capital injection as 100 thieves or vitality with you know tens mm. of millions of dollars. Uh, into the bank account and you can start playing with that or you have to, uh, expand in other smart ways. And, uh, for 2020, uh, the content create, cre- creators and, uh, streamers, uh, plus mobile esports. Uh, that's two divisions that we are definitely go- gonna expand into this year. Um, so, and it's too early to say if, uh, if, uh, like which leg we, or which foot we're gonna stand on in the, in the end of the year, but I'm 99% certain that it's the esports first mentality. Um, but I hope we can do our own thing. Uh, you know, but I think face clan, how they're build their brand for so many years now and have this like crazy fans who are really loving the face brand. Uh, I think that's just a big round of applause to them. Uh, and if you can keep the competitive eSports um, teams uh, on the side as well, or have them as the core uh, to keep... Because you need to have that anyways, right? Mm. Uh, Facebook mm. wouldn't be able to do it, I think, without their eSports competitive teams they've had in the Call of Duty and the Counter-Strike, etc. Yeah. So um, I think we see it the same way as they do. Like, and it's an investment. Uh try to be tier one in, in the big eSport titles. And then you can do a lot of other fun things uh the side because you will always attract talent and talented uh, content creators and talented streamers mm-hmm. and other talented mobile eSport games if you have a strong brand. So it's just the biggest focus is to keep growing the brand. Uh, and let's see where it ends up in a couple of years. But uh, it's exciting times, for sure.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. It's about... Um... You know, it's it's about using esports to provide that legitimacy to your brand, yeah. then diversifying into content, and that's something that I talk to a lot of mainstream brands about. You know, getting into the industry, saying that you know I think it's foolish to put all of your money into esports because mm. you, you know you could argue that SteelSeries did that and it didn't work out too well for them. Um, but it's it's important to put some money in there because you can use their leverage of you know, okay, I'm I'm sponsoring God Sent and their players can say, I use this product because it's good and I'm a professional player and I wouldn't use this product if it made me worse because it's literally my job to be good. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, if if you're looking at at that, um, it's not going to bring in, say, maybe as many digital views or make as many sales as if you were to also partner with a content powerhouse and with someone who has more digital reach because a player who's focused on practicing 24/7 just like I talked about in the previous podcast and LinkedIn live with with PPD a, a pro Dota player saying mm. that you know most of the Dota pros they just simply don't have time to create content yeah. they're training they 24/7 because they want to win a million dollars in their pocket each in a Dota 2 international so any Five thousand dollars sponsorship that they have to bend their knee to a corporate brand and do and worry about delivery. They just don't even care about that because they'd rather yeah. win a million bucks in their pocket or at least a hundred grand in their pocket if they're playing in a in a major. You know, one of the the what is it six or so that that lead up to that million dollar tournament. So it doesn't make yeah. any sense for them to focus on other stuff. So I guess that. You know, thinking out loud, that means for you as a, you know, as a leader and as an organization, it's up to you to curate that, that possibility to happen, right? It's up to yep. you to, um, as I've talked about in the past of Pro League of Legends plays in Australia, one of the reasons they like living in a team house is because he said, I don't have to worry about a single thing. I don't have to worry about cleaning. I don't have to worry about when bills are due. I don't have to worry about booking an Uber to play in the tournament. I just yep. worry 24-7 about playing my game and getting yep. better. And being the best player I can, and whether that means relaxing, being at the gym or whatever else, you know, it means he can hyper-focus all the time on what's important to him, which is playing yeah. a game and becoming a better player.
1: Yeah, definitely. Totally agree with you there. And uh, we have that, not struggle, but when we're talking to our pro players in dif- dif- uh, different games, uh, they just don't have the time or they're, they're really tired. So they need to... They need to relax or do something else. They can't just put on the stream after eight hours, 10 hours of uh, tracking. Mm. It's like in rare cases they do. And uh, yeah, so we definitely want to be a, a content powerhouse as well. But uh, to be able to do that, we need to, to have uh, special divisions for um, and and just focus on people only doing that. Um, and we also have like really big reach, I would say like now 1.8 million or something, including player accounts. And uh, I think it's really good for a young, talented uh, YouTuber or streamer uh, to be part of uh, an, an environment that is mainly like eSports professional organization. Because uh, mm. I think you can learn a lot from that and also get like we can we can help those persons uh become even bigger uh but from the professional side of it at first and uh yeah i think there's a lot of uh, good synergies uh to be to move, to be made mm. between the the streamers and uh content creators and the professionals as well
0: so keeping that um keeping that same discussion around sponsorship um, I'd I'd love to chat to you about you know mainstream non sponsors and and how you see them coming into the market. As I understand, you know, you guys have signed one on fairly in just fairly recently in in the clothing, um, session. Yep. But I'd love to learn from you about you know what what kind of brands are you targeting outside of the norm, and how have you seen their response and and likelihood to sign on into the industry, whether with you or, or with others.
1: I would say they're fairly good. Um. We signed with uh, Bjornborg for uh, three years, a uh, big apparel deal uh, that we're really, really proud of. Uh, and it's surprising how fast that one went um, from from my first reach out to their CEO until we had an agreement. Like uh, me and Ludwig, they actually demanded us to to come and train, work out with them. Uh, that was yeah, our cool. first meeting. Yeah, they're doing this uh, thing every Friday for all employees of Bjornborg. A Friday workout session and, uh, yeah, so we were there, uh, struggling, I would say, at, <laughs> at least, uh, but we survived, uh, that, wa- that hour and then we had a lunch, uh, and the CEO said that if we don't come to an agreement, uh, like within an hour, we will never come to an agreement. So we managed to, to like come to the, make a draft at least, uh, within 50 minutes and, uh, yeah, then it took some time and a little bit more of renegotiations, re- re- but we ended that one up with a uh, good uh, deal. And, uh, we also recently signed Philips, uh, OneBlade, uh, mainly, uh, their personal care division in Philips, uh, mm-hmm. for 2020. I'm gonna announce that, awesome. uh, like any day. Um, they did a one-off at DreamHack. Yeah, winter in shopping uh, in Sweden and we're really happy with that one uh, the return on that one and uh, so that's two I would say non-endemics and uh, we are in talks with a lot of other uh, non-endemics as well uh, everything from like e-commerce to what can it be like e-commerce to uh, yeah I don't know snacks uh, whatever um and mm. also like traditional like recruit rec- recruiting companies um they're all like really interested in 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 the beginning at least uh but then obviously it's it's uh, longer pro- pro- processes than than uh, endemic sponsors but mm. i would say that endemic sponsors are more um, i think they're more tired of uh being uh Contacted by, by esport organizations and stuff like that. I think there's sometimes, I feel like they have been, been burned and, and, uh, have done maybe poor investments or sponsorships in, in, earlier in their, in their life. Uh, so I would say I think we're going to have a really good, a strong non-endemic portfolio within one to two years. Uh, but in Sweden, the companies are, are a little bit more, uh, passive and uh, a little bit more scared about doing uh, like being a first advantage mover sometimes
0: uh-huh. mm. Mm. yeah i think um yeah I, th- I think you've definitely got some you've you've definitely got some wise words in there as a whole and i and I've talked about this a lot in the podcast i think that Um, It makes sense to me on one hand that teams would sign on sponsors that they can't possibly fulfill because they're a startup and they're spending a lot of money on wages, salaries, flights, accommodation, gaming equipment, um, fees to enter tournaments, etc. And they're going, well, okay, I've got this much runway left. I need to make some money. How can I make that happen? But I think they get stuck in the thing of let's just sign and then we'll try to deliver after that. And I've had that problem myself as a sponsor where a team I was sponsoring just kept on signing more and more and more sponsors. And when we started, we were one of four, which is good yep. because the team can then have enough time to pay enough attention to you. Um, yep. But, you know, then it ended up being one of 10. And it goes, well, how often can you tweet about us? You can't tweet about every single sponsor 10 times a month because then your Twitter becomes 80% sponsored tweets. And no yep. fan wants to see that. Um, yeah. You know, you can't make enough videos for us. Our logo is now one by one pixel in your jersey because you've got to cram it amongst all the others, <laughs> including mm, your yeah. own. Um, you know, there's only so much real estate, logo real estate you can have there too, um, yeah, which is true. important in its own right. So, you know, that's that's where some, some issues can come from. And I think that, you know, I personally feel that that's what people have been stuck into. But that's not saying it doesn't happen in traditional business, right? Because everyone... I think by now, if you've been around in esports for at least a year, two years, you've experienced a PR agency who said they can do esports because often PR agencies just say they can do everything. Yeah, They go, yeah, we can do alcohol and uh, tobacco. Uh, Yes, we can also do esports. Yeah, and we can do makeup. (laughs) And, you know, they they say we can do everything. And sometimes you see these companies which have all of their portfolio. There was one I saw. I think all of their portfolio were government and alcohol. And then they had one esports brand on there, and mm-hmm. I went, "What the hell does that have to do with either of those?" They've obviously got no idea. You know, I've yeah. got a friend that's in that's working inside an agency right now, um, and you know, the agency lured him lured him in because they're like, "We've been researching esports for ages. You're going to be a boss and have your own division and have a staff member under you and everything." And in the end, it just turns out they're telling him what to do, and they've got no idea about anything, yeah, whatsoever. And you know, I think that's where some of the issues come to. and. You know, there are a lot of shakeups in agency land because of this, especially in Australia. A lot of agencies are losing executives. They're losing clients. Um, A lot of brands are going through that cycle of taking things in-house and making their own agencies or hiring in-house. And then I'm sure that cycle will come back around again to outside agencies. But yeah, I think brands are pretty wary. And to me, you know, I did basically a whole podcast on this maybe 10, 15 ago um, with Brett. Sullivan and also um, talked about a lot with, with Pete from Game on Australia in the fact of why case studies are so important because I've yeah. seen so many pitches from influencers and organizations where the only real mentions are this is how many followers I have this is how many tweet impressions I get and this is how much money I've won in tournaments and you go okay yeah. cool what does that actually mean for the brand how many sales have you made worth of yeah. hoodies how many people did you get to your signing session and um, you know the yeah, tournaments, that's... the tournaments that you won. Yes, it had cumulative 44 million viewers or something because it was Dota or it was League of Legends. But how many were actually on you? How yeah. many viewers? How many fans did you gain after that tournament? What was your placement and yeah. uh, things like that? And and that's why for me, um, it makes it so easy for me to do influencer marketing at the moment because I've got 20, I think, um, different case studies I can pull on of. Mm-hmm. Um, anything from FaZe selling five hundred thousand dollars worth of champion hoodies in five minutes to the Misfit selling U two's bobblehead products to one of our own influencers selling forty five thousand dollars worth of gaming PCs in six months at an average sale price of three to, to four thousand AUD. So I've got yeah. all of those to live meetups that that click management have done with five, seven hundred people packing out a arena with people being pushed away just to watch them talk live, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like me, you know, I guess this started as a question for you, but turned out to a long rant. Is that you know <laughs> we, need some, I, we need some, we need, and definitely I need to be able to evangelize some more case studies in esports. So I guess that yeah. goes for you, Henrik, and for anyone listening. Like, if you have any positive case studies for esports, please, please send them to me because I really want to evangelize more. But it's hard. It's hard without those case studies to really prove what the success metrics have been in the past to mirror in the future.
1: Definitely, and. Um it's 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 sometimes easy to sell and hard to deliver. Um, but this is something mm. that we're really eager and really, uh, we say we really we really want to come good uh, at returning uh really good value to our sponsors because it's not easy to sell. Uh, it's not easy to get uh, endemic or non endemic brands who want to put a lot of money into to the brand or organization. Mm. Uh, so you can't afford to lose them. I would say that's a much higher cost. To get a new one uh, if they're not satisfied, uh, I think this is a really important investment that has to be made uh, during uh, during the contract length uh, to the sponsor. Um, yeah, because it's a struggle to to get. Uh, it takes a lot of time and energy and effort to to sign them. So, and I think to deliver it's, it's it should be easier uh, than to do the. Sell again, so we're definitely the, of, of the opinion that we need to have a have a good um, return. Uh, we're we're learning and trying, and we, we see it uh, we see it as we need to have like we need to talk to the to the sponsors a lot uh, and evaluate and get feedback mm-hmm. and uh, see what what we should try on next and just try things. Um, and make them happy uh, and we're measuring uh, a lot of kpis and uh, returns on uh, cavea.io uh, it's just one of the tools out there uh, for sure um, where you can at least measure some things um, but it also depends on like what the goal is for the brand uh, what they want to achieve is it hard sales or is it just brand awareness and it's it's different from companies to companies uh, i would say but uh, you're definitely right with everything you say, um, and we can definitely provide you with case studies after this year, say, uh, for some of the awesome sponsors, yeah, at least those who we have uh, given good return. But hopefully <laughs> we, we have satisfied uh, clients and customers uh, for each and every sponsor. But for us, this also makes a lot of sense to have a good portfolio that makes sense for our fans, so to speak. Um, and stuff that we actually can stand for. Um, so it was really easy to bring on, like Philips One Blade, and stand for it. For real when a lot of the Counter Strike players already said that, "Hey, I already have a One Blade and I'm using it like every week. It's a good mm-hmm. product for real." So then it becomes much easier to work with the brand and uh, and work with the product, I would say. Uh, but yeah,
0: yeah, a big yeah, yeah. Well said. And, and look, I. You know, I've been on that rant a couple of times before, but but really, you know, begging people, um, I need some more case studies. I really do, and I think it'll help the industry so much. I, I try to share case studies publicly whenever I can, Yeah. Um, you know, myself, to, um, you know, gather gather that extra support from any agencies out there that can use them. Um, yeah. And sometimes that can be very simple into, you know, um, Misfits did a, you know, Influencer Collective did a, a live meetup at $30 Australian a ticket and at PAX Australia and sold out their 500 tickets, you know, yeah. so that, that gives you a data point to go off. Yeah. Um, the same way that, you know, FaZe sold those champion hoodies. So it gives you another data point. And I feel like it's, you know, if you can fill as many of those data points as possible, it makes it much easier for a brand to figure out, you know, likelihood of success. And they can put themselves in those shoes and say, okay, I'm a bar or I'm a live facility or I make uh, merchandise. You know, yeah. that's, that's something that's possible to obtain that yeah, I might definitely. get straight away, but, you know, I can work myself towards that. Definitely. Yeah. So tell me tell me a bit more about your capital raise. You know, um I think one of the comments from one of the investors was they really liked your um more realistic valuation compared to others. And it's important to I guess prephrase this for listeners for legality's sake, you know, I don't have an Australian financials license and and um, you know, while we provide introductions to investors sometimes we can't actually close a deal or make um uh, make comments on, you know, whether people should or shouldn't invest and we're also not telling any of the listeners, you know, whether they should or should not invest. But for, for you, you know, one of the actual investors who has control of the money commented that they liked your much more realistic valuations, um, and they seem to like the amount of money that you're raising. You know, you mentioned before that some teams, um, like Hundred Thieves, etc., are going off raising tens of millions of dollars, um, yep. and other teams can can more keep bootstrapping it as they continue to grow organically. Obviously yeah. you've picked option 2. So let us know a little bit more about you know how much you're raising what sort of investors yeah. you're looking for and and um you know how the round's gone so far.
1: Yeah. Um we're like really early into the to the starting point of the round. Uh we're starting to do reach outs and uh, doing like introduction meetings and uh, yeah, basically pitching. Um so we're looking for uh, at the minimum 1 million euro, uh almost the same in a million dollar, uh, almost the same uh up to like 2 um so between 1 and 2 million uh we're looking at um it's, it's basically growth capital um and um yeah talking about valuations yeah it's it's really difficult um obviously it's hard to put a price tag on something it's in the sometimes in the buyer's like what what price is it worth it depends on how much someone wants to buy it for mm. but it's hard ho- i think it's harder for us to have a crazy high valuation and uh yeah uh, obviously it's benefits to that as well from an owner perspective you don't get you don't have to give away as many shares and stuff like that but yeah we try to be realistic and uh, we have a lot of uh, or a couple of venture capital guys in the board as well I was working at, uh, like really, really big, uh, VC companies in the Nordics, uh, and myself as a background from, from investments and, uh, doing, uh, VC rounds before and seed rounds and stuff like that. So yeah, we really, this is really important for us, obviously. And, uh, we have a pitch deck. Uh, it's 20 pages, I would say. At this point, and if you're interested, you can always email me at Henrik.gg if you want to get it and look at it. Uh, we're also going to put it in public, I think. Um, but it's, uh, I know it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it could take some time, uh, to do it, but we see so many funds and stuff doing, uh, esports, uh, esports investments. So, and I think we have a really good proposition. Uh, we have a really strong brand. Uh, we are at a, Really good state um, when it comes to sponsors, and uh, yeah, the last quarter of 2019 was really, really good, uh, and we don't see ourselves uh, like uh, slowing down in pace. Uh, so I think we will have a really good growth uh, this year as well, and uh, going into other divisions as we mentioned before, with uh, content creators and streaming, uh, mobile esports. Stuff like that and, and expanding the merchandise business as well. I think we have a really good case here uh, at, a, at a good valuation. So, yeah, I'm really positive on, on us closing the round uh, sooner or later.
0: Yeah, fantastic. I mean, how do you how do you see the market with valuations? You know, ch- doing a, a podcast a while ago with Anne uh, Matthew's one of the co-founders of Fanatic. Yeah. You know, she was saying that that she personally felt that European organisations as a whole were often a little bit more. Realistically valued than United States based organizations, you know. Do, do you hold that um, that thinking yourself? And
1: um... yeah, I mean that's that's true for for almost every industry. Is that uh, if you look at the stock market, for example, uh, in in Europe uh, compared to the U.S., they always have like a little bit higher multiples uh, on the price sales, or uh, yeah, like EV slash V um, or numbers um, mm. so and mainly that's because there's so much more uh money in, in in that market and it's it's a bigger market as well but so that's always the case so obviously it's going to be that in, uh, the same in esports as well that europe is slightly lower in valuations than the us so i think that's just only the nature of uh investment and finance, uh, as it is. But I mean, you can always argue for, for the high valuations at some point, because if you look at the monetizing on like each fan compared to traditional sports, I think you want to, it's still a strong case, uh, that's the, the earnings per, per fan, um, or the revenue per viewer or whatever. Are going hmm. more towards uh, the traditional sports. Um, within time, it's gonna take a lot of time, obviously. Yeah, but it's, that's that's like one big fundament, fundamental fundamental uh, base point in in the case that it's a long term bet. Um, and obviously, a lot of clever people have uh, decided that the valuations are okay for us to put in uh, ten million dollar or three million dollar. or uh, whatever. So mm. yeah, we're not complaining. Uh, it would be much worse for, for the, the economy of esports if it was really hard to, to attract capital. Um, so I think we're in a good position. If we can have a balanced uh, business proposition and a good, like a more sound valuation, uh, I think it will be. Quite easy for us to, to actually do this. Um, if we find the right partner and that's really important for us as well we obviously want the cash first and foremost and but uh, obviously we want to have uh, a good knowledge and uh, experience injection as well to the company uh, with a board or investor that is uh, has uh, is well connected or can uh, help us with other things as well. Um, like a media house or whatever it could be, uh, the more the better. Um, but I think we're confident confidence enough that uh, we can also have a, a, an investor that's totally almost clueless when it comes to esports, as long as they're long term. Um, you have a really good idea what to do with the, with the money. So,
0: mm, mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, plenty, plenty of different options in the market. Yeah. Yeah, I'd find it. Find it very interesting, you know. We had um, we had some people contact us once, uh, offering us to invest, and you know they they seemed like a good strategic partner, but but it fell through for some different reasons in the end. But you know it was interesting them commenting on valuations, yeah. Um, you know, and um, having discussion around that. You know, we we have a, we had a very standard esports style valuation, but they're used to lower, which is more traditional industry. And for them, they yeah. were saying, look, we don't care if you have the same valuation multiple. As other esports industry people do, because we could just choose to take our money invested into something else that's not esports, just as fine. Yeah. For us, it's about making money in things yeah, that interest us, and esports wasn't the un- wasn't just the only thing that interested them. And yeah. you know, I think it has some some merit, and just like what you were saying, right? It's worth as much as someone's willing to pay. Yeah. in the end and and you know sometimes I feel like you flip it you say your valuation can't be less than the amount of money that you lose per year <laughs> so mm-hmm. you know I've seen that in the past too with, with the team that's raising an evaluation much higher than I think they should but you know yeah. they're, they're spending um almost that much just to operate so they have to yeah. you, know, you yeah, can't sure. um, and you can't raise uh you know an evaluation of a million dollars if you spend more than that per year in, in operating expenses so you know it all, all comes part of the parcel but look I've you know I've taken up a a bunch of your time and, and had some good discussion. I'd, I'd really like to learn from you. You know what's what's mainly on your radar coming up next. You know you've, t- you've talked about some non endemic sponsors being signed, and you've talked about um, you know taking an interest in Fortnite. But how about the strategy and direction of the company in in the next six to twelve months? Let us let us know.
1: Yeah, so uh, we are we're actually having a boot camp into a boot camp into a boot camp. So um, it's a a lot of focus on the esports. Uh, the competitive environment for that. Rainbow Six having having a boot camp uh, a couple of weeks ago. The Counter Strike team is boot camping as we speak, uh, preparing for the Ice GG bets Ice Challenge in London, uh, which is an A-tire tournament. Um, it's gonna put us on test for sure. Uh, we're the second lowest ranked team, and we are ranked twenty three, I think, in the world right now. Mm-hmm. So Sports and NAVI and etc. Ends being there in uh, two weeks time it's going to be a lot of fun uh from business point of view we have a lot of sponsorship deals in in pipe and negotiations ongoing and uh that's exciting times for us and takes a lot of time obviously uh at this point it's the headliner that we're still lacking uh a big headliner and uh we are in some far gone like uh Discussions or negotiations or even on contracts, uh, point mm-hmm. there. But that's the last puzzle, sort of the last bit of the puzzle that we're missing. Uh, to uh, to be like, if if when we get uh, the headliner, we are like break even uh, and a little bit uh, better. Uh, I would say, even a little bit profitable. Um, just, just organic. So I think we're soon in a really, really good spot and uh, therefore we want to make sure that we get the, the expansion money, the venture money uh, for expansion into, as you said, mentioned Fortnite uh, content creators, streamers. We want to build uh, an army of content creators and streamers mm-hmm. across multiple titles and uh, globally. Uh, and also we want to have uh, a couple of teams within the mobile esports uh, who also, who is on, on Taiwan uh, position, uh, mm-hmm. for example, Call of Duty in India or uh, Free Fire in South America and, and stuff like mm-hmm. that we're looking into. So mm-hmm. I think uh, these four or five things are, are the main focus for this year. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's really exciting times. And I think uh, also the TI, the International Ten, uh, being in Sweden, in Stockholm, our home soil, uh, for the yeah. first time and the first time in Europe, I think as well. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And we are obviously are, are doing everything we can to, to put a good roster in place and, uh, grind enough DPC points to, to, to go, to be there. Um, so I hope you will come to TI 10, Chris.
0: Uh, I'd love to come. I'd love to come to Sweden. I'd love to, um, to catch up with some of my old, of my old CS one point six friends from from those days, people like um yeah. people like Khan from from Fanatics yeah. and down those ways and um yeah yeah a few others, but you know I guess most most people live all around the world these days, right? With with Khan mainly based out of London and um yeah and, um yeah some of my other friends, I, honestly I just mentally blanked on my other Swedish Counter Strike mate, he's going to kill me if he listens to this because <laughs> he does because he does sometimes. I'm so sorry. Yeah. He played with he played with Khan in, in CS one point six as well. I feel horrible, but yeah, uh, I, yeah. it's really. It's really interesting. Hey, look, actually, b- before we cut off this podcast, interesting yeah. point of discussion. I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah. Why do you think Dota went to Sweden and not back to China? Oof. Or America. Honestly,
1: honestly, it's um it's really hard to tell. Um I think it's so strong uh, anyway in, in China, and I think uh, you can see the, the the European teams uh it's so I mean there's, it's so stacked at this point in, in the Europe, uh, Dota, uh, with, you know, OG being back to back. You have Nigma, you have, uh, I mean, you have so many good teams, uh, coming from the Europe, uh, from the Europe scene. Uh, so I, I think it makes sense for them to go a little bit more to the West and, and Europe to get more traction and attention from, from uh, the Western world as well. Uh, they're probably seeing like declining uh, viewership or like declining played hours from, from Europe or whatever, maybe. Uh, so it's, I think it's just a business decision, uh, that makes sense for them looking at, uh, several KPIs. Um, and also like the Chinese crowd doesn't, yeah, they're not like really excited when OG wins. Uh, so mm. I don't know. It's maybe much better. Live, um, what do you say? Live uh, crowd experience. If if uh, you are in Europe and uh, the European team is is winning, I don't know. It's hard to say. But I would say it's mainly a business decision Uh, that made sense for them. Mm, But we're obviously really happy that it come to Sweden. (laughs)
0: Yes, (laughs) very, very true. I mean, you know, it could be the fact of, I guess they're um, they're confident that they can sell out. You know, an arena no matter where they go, and you know, Sweden's somewhere that. That doesn't necessarily get, you know, the League of Legends World Finals the Dota 2 or Fortnite World Finals kind of events. So Mm. maybe it's about time to to give them an option. And, you know, Sweden has so much history in Dota and so much history in Counter-Strike, especially with things like Dreamhack and such as well in that traditional, you know, traditional hardcore esports. That have been around for years and years. Maybe you know, maybe it's time they they got a bit of a crack at, at the new at the new kid on the block, or you know, the new yeah. style of esports at least, which is crazy things like a thirty-five million dollar US Dota International. Yeah, and and this knows, is really good. Really,
1: yeah, this is really good for the ecosystem in Sweden when it comes to esports. You know, we've been we've been uh, we've been lagging a little bit, and uh, you know, seeing uh, Denmark and Finland uh, uh, being better. Uh, in Counter-Strike, particularly with Astralis and Ants, you know, uh, we're not number one in the world anymore. So this is really good injection, I think, for eSports in Sweden and, and all, also in the Nordics and uh, definitely mm. helps uh, Godsen's case when it comes to when we talk to non-endemics and stuff like that. So, yeah, we're really happy that uh, I was decided to, to, to bring it to, to Sweden.
0: Mm, mm, yeah, that's very true. So where can where can people follow you or your team online if they'd like to keep in touch and learn some more about you?
1: Yeah, so you can follow Godsent on uh, like every every channel out there. Uh, it's slash Godsent uh, Like all platforms, uh, mainly using uh, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, you can follow me on uh, Twitter. It's God Heinrich. Um, you can also reach out on LinkedIn if you're interested. Uh, I'm sure my name will be put in the description of the podcast. So mm-hmm. just feel free to reach out or hit me up, uh, on LinkedIn or Twitter. And, uh, yeah, make sure to, uh, follow Godsend. That's the most important thing for me. So uh-huh. yeah, follow Godsend and, uh, yeah. And thanks for having me, Chris. It was uh, fantastic. It was fun.
0: Thanks, mate. And and thank you to the listeners for listening in to the Big Esports podcast. Um, as always, we've got plenty more podcasts coming with a wide variety of guests. I hope you enjoy this episode and we'll see you in the next one. Thanks and bye for now. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at Esports underscore gg.